Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. a little bit of a uh, little bit of imaging for you live imaging <laughs> live imaging what live imaging where on what show is this on Zubble radio episode 142 72 72 uh you may notice if you're watching this on youtube you actually if you, let's try this <clears throat> if you're a very discerning podcast listener you may notice something about today's episode which is quite different than normal episodes yeah. Do you know what it, if you know what it is, put it in the comments box below. <laughs> yeah, something that doesn't happen very often. If but when it does, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, you obviously know what's happening. And what's happening is, now that you've put the comments in your comment box on your non-existent comment box, <laughs> we, <laughs> Matt is in Austin. We are here together I am. broadcasting live from the studio booth that is my living room. Good times. Matt, welcome to Texas. Hey, thanks a lot. You're supposed to say howdy, partner. Howdy, partner. There you go. Um, yes, it is episode 72. We have a doubly amazing show for you today because not only is Matt here, but we have an awesome guest as well. Before we introduce our guest, though, we're going to don't talk about it. <laughs> we're going to. Uh, wait, we covered this. The first news bullet point is Matt's in Austin. Surprise. Next bullet point is Matt is giving a talk at, what's it called? Did you find out what it's actually called? The BEG is the what people BEG, call it. BEG, yeah. which, which stands for? The Bureau of Economic Geology, which is essentially the Geological Survey of Texas. Like I think in many states, it's called the Geological Survey, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, so the director of the BEG is the state geologist, I guess. Um, and yeah, I was there today on campus. It's really confusing because there's the Jackson School of Geosciences, which you might have seen on, you know, obviously lots of geoscientists there writing papers and whatnot. And I was a bit confused about Jackson School, the BEG, University of Texas. And it turns out there's two campuses in Austin, one in kind of North Austin, about 10 miles north of downtown. And that's the BEG. And it's on this big campus with a big fence around it and security gates and whatnot. But turns out my driver today just drove through no problem. <laughs> no they kind of waved him through. So okay. I'm not sure what all the thing. And and that's there's a building there that's geology. Next door is UTIC, a geophysics building. What's UTIC stand for? I can't remember. Okay. Do you know? I don't. I was just grilling you on acronyms. What's ATX stand for? UTIG. It must be UTIG because it's something something in geophysics or blah, blah, blah. Anyway, whatever. Temporal uh, inversions of geophysics. Oh, <laughs> on my way in, it goes Jackson School of Geoscience. So the Jackson School is both of them. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like the BEG people refer to the downtown campus. Um, this is a long story to get to the bullet point, which is <laughs> Matt is giving a talk at the, at the BEG at 1 tomorrow, which yes. is Friday the 16th. And no, okay, hold on. See, this is why you needed my explanation. I'm not giving a talk at the BEG at one o'clock, I'm giving a talk at nine o'clock a.m. Yes, oh man, at three o'clock, I'm giving a talk at the downtown campus, the Jackson's, the other bit of the Jackson's. I don't know. Wait, hold on, I gotta update these show notes as we go. And now, add. there's a piece of news about the one o'clock talk that you'll be interested in, but maybe I won't mention it right now. Wait, hold on, let me get this all straight. At 9 a.m. tomorrow, you're giving a talk at the BEG. Yes. And then at one three. Three o'clock tomorrow, you're giving a talk at the downtown campus. Yes. Okay. Are either of those talks open for randos like me to go to? That's a really great question, and I don't really know the answer. We're really good at advertising here on Understandable Radio, so if you'd like to sponsor the show, Please contact us. I mean, 
I feel like if you showed up, no one's going to turn you away if you're, of course, a geoscientist with full credentials. I am fully credentialed. There you go. Um, okay, next bullet point. I will be giving a talk somewhere, which I thought it was at the BEG, next Friday, doing maybe the same thing that Matt's doing? I'm not sure. No, it's My, different. Okay. My talk is going to be deep learning transposicated. That is not a word. Onto exploration. It's actually your word. You invented that word last two weeks ago. Don't know if you remember that. <laughs> was that the bourbon day? Were you drinking? That's what that was. <laughs> okay, transposicated. I, I was it. on water that day. Okay. <clears throat> what are your talks about tomorrow? Unsolved problems in geoscience, applied geoscience. Both talks? You're well, reusing a talk the same day? It's an adaptation of the morning talk. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's temporally shifted. Mm -hmm. University of Temporal Inversion <laughs> Geoscience. <laughs> hey, we've got Tom Creech on the show today. Welcome, Tom. Hello. Hey, gentlemen. Tom's a geodude, geologist, at Exxon. What are you working on? The mobile's with? not silent. Oh, am I supposed to say the mobile? Yeah. <laughs> Exxon Mobile. Sorry. That's, that's rep uh, representing all my uh, mobile friends, heritage mobile friends at work. Yeah, yeah. I thought for sure that that mobile was so, going to go away after a couple of years, and it never did. I obviously thought that no, it, it doesn't. It, it still gets shorthanded quite a bit. Um, yeah. Bloomberg's kind of nefarious or notorious for oh, uh, okay. never using the full name anymore. But uh, no, huh. we try to. Yeah, uh, the, well, the Pegasus people... came from the mobile side, so that's you know, pretty cool icon. We don't want to lose. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, so you've got some side gigs as well. I see in the show notes. Yeah, you are building curriculum for K through twelve. So yeah, so one of the things um, that I get to do um, that my employer is also supportive of is work with United Way a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and um well a lot you know in a sustained manner um so um for the last several years i've participated in the um teach the teachers programs and oh, cool. other um you know things where basically volunteers go in um they can teach a short uh sort of boxed lesson such as rock and mineral identification or material on some other energy topics. Um, and those sort of canned lessons are put together by others so that really anyone can volunteer to go in and share the lesson. Um, so I had been pretty involved um, in putting some new lesson packages together. Um, started that about four years ago, around the time some of the new STEM curriculum standards came out. And- um, That core? So that was, what's that? That related to core education? Um, yeah, yeah. So the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics uh, core curriculum for the state of Texas. And um, so, you know, some of these topics, especially more recent ones um, in the environmental space are, are fast moving and recent since many of the teachers went to school and learned about earth science. So um, we also had some really nice sessions where we went out and just taught the teachers and um i did i think a total of three full day workshops over a couple of years uh that way and one of the next things i'm looking towards is actually a year ago i went to, um this was actually pack south uh board gaming and video game development convention but um the microsoft or let's see bill and melinda gates no microsoft philanthropies was there I tried to find some better material um, <laughs> before the show, but was running a little late. So I have this little piece of mint candy swag to remind me. Um, but two years ago, um, I chatted with the folks here, and it's um, TEALS, Computer Science in Every High School, part of uh, Microsoft Philanthropies. And their address is TEALSK12.org. And they're trying to bring more computer science into K through 12. And when I went to um, the conference was actually in Austin a couple of years ago and I dropped in for a day and what I was um, struck by is that the, um, you know, there were a lot of people kind of coming in 
to educate students and try to inspire, you know, younger elementary and middle school age kids through high school into the computer sciences, which is great. But um, what I didn't see as much of was how computer science can flow the other way into industry and into other areas um, in the sciences being a great example. Um, so I got my gears turning of wanting to kind of put something together that was much more technology leaning, um, but that was still in the vein of this, um, you know, volunteer, volunteerism and education. And um, so at that point in time, I was like, I need to learn Python. And, um, you know, then I kind of looked around and then things got busy. So this volunteer activity ebbs and flows a lot. Um, and, you know, didn't really kind of, things didn't all come together. So I didn't get much traction on teaching myself Python at that point in time. Um, but then uh, just a few months ago, I think in the show notes, I even <laughs> alluded to um, the, you know, that essentially it was the great uh, flu pandemic of 2017 <laughs> that, that made it all come together because oh. I was on my back on the couch for a couple of weeks straight. And, oh. you know, once I had my basic functions back to normal, but was still quite sick. Um, Move your digits. You were good. <laughs> yeah. I, I proceeded to, at that point, watch um, all of the YouTubes for um, SciPy 2015, 16, and 17, oh. and JupyterCon the last two or so. Um, found y'all's show um, and a few a few other things and was just blown away. Um, I mean, I, even in that uh, compromised state, I was so inspired by all of that material. I'm like, wow, there's a whole like vibrant community around this topic now in just like two years time. Mm. Um, so that really kind of rekindled that fire. Um, and so now I'm chipping away at things in earnest um, with a, a real goal to like, you know, kind of try to weave this, weave these two things together. Yeah, right. The, the science education topics with a little bit of Python. But so you were originally inspired to learn when, when you sort of faltered the first time mm -hmm. by, by the educators or by the kids learning? Well, so I never brought the um, coding piece into the mix. Right, okay. So I was doing these other activities uh, that I was describing and then went to this more, you know, computer science themed um, K through 12 volunteer education session um, and then thought about how to maybe marry the two together. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and then it was that, you know, getting getting the inertia built, uh, yeah. kind of getting over that activation energy that yeah. was a bit tough, um, you know. Well, I, love how, I love how that um, is a really good story about volunteering and how it kind of gives back to you and inspires you back, yeah. right? Yep, yeah, it absolutely the, does. That's really yeah. cool. And, and now you think uh, more people should get debilitating flu to learn to <laughs> yeah it could be maybe we make this sort of an a inverse vaccination program at, <laughs> at school no 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 i wouldn't recommend that tom what are you doing at uh, the old roll tide in Furman? um yeah so roll tide thank you for acknowledging uh, our greatness <laughs> sorry <laughs> I don't, I don't so you were from a uh, recent uh, country graham uh, oh yeah, no. I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't want to um, weigh on your conscience too much by putting a show note in there about Go Tigers, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, so okay, so at Furman, um, sort of mountains of upstate South Carolina, beautiful setting, Blue Ridge Front. Um, it's just a great. I think um, my geology department there, there were like six of us. Um, and like six faculty member in different subjects. So really great, um, you know, great engagement there. Um, we had the flexibility to go on great field trips, like week-long transects. A lot of hard rock um, in my background from that point in my life because we're sitting right in um, the core of the Appalachian Mountains. And so, I mean, you've got Ophiolite suites stacked up on top of things you've got um 
just all the you've got Grinville, you know, basement exposed in a couple of spots, and then you've got all the valley and ridge um, just to the west. So that was a beautiful spot. Um, and then there, there was also a great um, NSF research experience for undergrads program that mm. they got started. So I was fortunate enough to be able to start doing some field work and really learn, you know, the research process at, um, at my undergraduate institution. And the first year there, we worked um, on the Savannah River site. I logged a bunch of core that had been drilled for uh, siting of the nuclear reactors uh, back in the 50s, I guess that would be maybe 40, hmm. 40 50s. Was the core? Um, what's that? How deep was the core? Into uh, myelinite shear zones in the basement. Hmm. Um, so th through the rift basins and all the way down. Um, and so it's it pretty spectacular. And so these were um, six inch diameter core. Wow. Like we don't, where I'm going with this is we don't drill core like this anymore or very few people do. So six inch diameter core from surface all the way down um, I want to say, well, I probably shouldn't say, because I'll be way off, but I, I, I think the core went down to a, about 4,000 feet, really deep. Wow. wow. Um, I wish I had, yeah, I'll, I'll make an edit in the uh, notes <laughs> for the show if I'm off by more than 20%. Um, <laughs> That's the threshold. Better than the rest of the <laughs> but um, the order of magnitude that we worry about. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so that was a great experience. And so, well, great, um, great exposure to rocks that few people have seen. Yeah. Um, challenging in the respect that this is sitting in uh, Aiken, South Carolina. Uh, these were summer endeavors. We poured the core out of um, abandoned Navy barracks and laid them all out on the asphalt and they um were all in like heavy wood boxes so like two five foot segments of six inch diameter rock in a like wooden crate <laughs> a pretty good one and haul all of that out in the morning to line it all out like you know make notes as fast as you can and then haul it all back in and um it was a wonderful experience and in fact i you know looking back thinking about it earlier today I'd, um, I wish I were a better geologist back then <laughs> um, I would have pulled my weight a bit more beyond just the physical labor piece um, but I certainly learned a tremendous amount so that was a, a great experience and then they also started up again at Furman a, a watershed research um, effort and so that is kind of the the springboard that got me into fluvial systems and aqueous geochemistry and sediment transport and sort of coastal geomorphology type themes. And, and those are probably the themes I use most today. Um, and so then at University of Alabama, um, my, my first project, my master's, uh, started out with um, work with um, Alan Dennis and Antonio Rodriguez. Um, on inside valley systems in the Mobile Bay area specifically. So I had some, um, you know, some good summers there. And then I transitioned back into a sort of a nitrogen cycling, um, aqueous biogeochemistry of lake systems topic and looking at trace metal loading, anthropogenic nitrogen loading, um, and, and some other interactions, sediment water interactions in our local water supply reservoir in Tuscaloosa. Is this for your PhD? So that latter part was for my PhD, which I uh, did not complete, but, um, you know, came within sight of the finish line and, and worked with some great people. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, kind of made a, a tough choice to come to work before that was quite finished and then immediately began um, seeing the world and all kinds of other things that uh, took my full attention to keep up with. Okay. Uh, but I think uh, when we were chatting a couple of weeks ago, um, it may have come up that was kind of keeping, you know, kind of thinking of maybe going back and um, starting again and, and maybe going in a little bit different direction. So um, haven't looked around much, but 
What's that? What direction would you go in? Um, good question. Um, you know, at this point, I've seen so much in industry and kind of just, I like living in the exploration space because you have to integrate so much. So a very nonspecific answer, um, I don't know. Um, it would, um, it would likely be either in sort of coastal geomorphology and stratigraphy again, or in um, maybe geochemistry as applied to diagenetic processes. <clears throat> and here's the ringer. Mm -hmm. Why do it? <laughs> Personal goal completion. <laughs> Nice. Personal satisfaction. Feels so, like unfinished business. We're doing it. Yeah, it does. It does. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's been a while. It's been about seven years um, at this point, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it would it would be just for me. And, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have waited before starting. Mm -hmm. So for anyone out there uh, caught in a predicament of, you know, worrying about your finance and your funding to stay at grad school versus jobs versus other things, life in general, they're tough choices, but um, just be realistic about your own capacities to be in three places at once and, uh, you know, and make a choice based on realistic um, factors. So <laughs> Sounds it's, like it's just tough to be multiple places at once. Yeah, indeed it is. Yeah, my wife, uh, she, she finished her master's after taking a job and it was, it was hard like, and not enjoyable. <laughs> and, you know, because I'm, uh, you know, the job was 300 miles from where she was studying. So yeah, it was, it was difficult. And I, I do feel too, like writing up often feels like a really massive task and I, I can't speak for the American system, but I think in the UK we often, again, you know, I, it's a long time since I was at grad school, but um, put very high, uh, put a very high bar on it when really it's just, it's just finishing up and writing what you've done. Like it's, it, I feel like it doesn't, maybe this is just me, but I blew it up into a big task that took me a year and I don't think it should be like that. What? Like, what should? What else? <laughs> I, no, I'm. I mean, I mean, because the research is the work, not like the writing up is. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, so my writing was quite a bit different. My writing was iterative, so I was writing while I was doing the work. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to do it too. That's and probably a good way to do it. <laughs> that's but, not uh, the way I approached either. Well, it means I probably a, write 10 times as much. <laughs> I definitely had a sort of Zeno's paradox at the end of fiddling with infinite precision on drawings and this kind of thing. Oh. Totally unnecessary level of right. execution. A computer did all my figures for me, so. Well, I'm, I'm from a different era, Graham. Yeah. It was all quills and printing press <laughs> written by Campbell. The engraving actually was very difficult. <laughs> what's this? What's this, Tom? What's this about Atari? You were you you build program you build the uh, game. Oh. What? <laughs> yes, you'd ask. Don't tell me you designed Pac-Man. Me in the show notes? No, no, no. You'd ask me in the show notes about, uh, or as we were chatting before. Um, you know, kind of how I, what my prior coding experiences had been. And I actually have a visual aid for you, so I'm glad you asked. Love visual aid. I'm about to investigate and excruciating you know, Oh, I really wanted him to whip that off. <laughs> I, don't know if, uh, I don't know if the uh, audience will oh, be able man. to see this or not, but I, the picture at least will be visible. So this is, um, I used this recently at, at um, a meeting just as like an, an icebreaker, kind of like, you know, in a, an about you slide. So um, that's the Atari 400. <laughs> and so to answer your question, Graham, I first coded in basic uh -huh. on the Atari 400. And that was like circa 79 to 84 or so. And what, what's fascinating to me about this picture is, you know, like all game consoles, it had a cartridge, but check out that, that <laughs> cassette deck. Yeah. 
It had like the miniaturized solution for home use of a mainframe reel-to-reel magnetic tape storage device (laughs) (laughs) using just cassette tapes, which were already in everyone's Walkmans and and everything. So I thought that was kind of elegant. Believe it or not, when I was in grades, I think I was in the same grades, four to six, let's see. No, no, I was slightly older. It would have been a uh, fifth to seventh grade. I also did a lot of basic programming. My dad is an electrical engineer, and he gave me a computer with a basic terminal instead. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you know. Um, so I feel your pain. Yeah. yeah. So I just had you know hours in the basement in the winter, um, just like using turtle graphics type things and some of the other things to draw. Um, what else did I do? Oh, so I don't know if either of you um, have experienced like Zork or Zill, some of those choose your own adventure games through keypad. So it basically just took the simple act of a choose your own adventure book and, you know, put it on the screen. Yeah. But um, coded some of that. So those were like my first conditional logic statements and logic gates. Um, And then in thinking about it and and in thinking of introducing coding to some of this um, high school and middle school curriculum, one of the real drivers there is I got a great start in this space. And then, of course, benefited from all the video games in the 80s and such, um, but dropped you know, active use of machine language by middle school, didn't touch it in high school, didn't even touch it in college until like my senior year in undergrad. Um, worked with IDL and MATLAB and things in grad school, um, but then that got that spigot was shut off again when I entered the workforce. Mm -hmm. And so I I don't know, it just kind of fascinates me that there's so much opportunity there from an educational perspective. And then um, just to build like capabilities Um, because it's powerful. It's one thing to have great software. And it's another thing to just have access to maths and a good tool to work the maths. Um, It's nice to have both. Yeah. Right. So, so when I was doing basic, I didn't, I obviously I didn't know what I was doing, but I also didn't have anything to do with it. Right. So I stopped because I didn't, it, it's hard. I mean, we yeah. all, it's yeah. hard, right. And if you don't, if you're not trying to solve some problem that you want to solve, you're just done. I wish that I had been more into video games because maybe I would have been a video game <laughs> these days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah that would have been an objective at least. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like we had a similar experience though. I mean, I, I moved, from basic into C, mm-hmm. uh, that was, I, I did almost all of my grad school work in C. Oh, wow. It's not, it was not a high time in my life. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Did you see my comment in the show notes about C? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I used it no using, longer than I had to. Now we're all <laughs> using things like Python and Julian. I mean, even MATLAB, say what you want about MATLAB. It's powerful and it's high level and you can just learn it. Is is that like a version of Octave? (laughs) 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 Open source everything. Actually, after this, Tom, Matt and I are going to get tattoos. He's going to get open source (laughs) junkie. Is it like the the logo for like the GPU license? (laughs) Yeah. I don't like the G- general public GPL. Yeah, I, don't, I actually I don't like, like the tattoo G- idea, though. I might steal that. I don't like the GPL. You're in the right town for it. Has um, has Exxon ever open sourced any code? I don't think so. I can't think um, of it. I do not know. Because, you know, there's like uh, several oil companies. I'm not saying there's a trend of it, but I mean, several have dabbled, let's say, you know, BP. Um, uh, released seismic processing system, and so did ConocoPhillips. And um, then more recently, Statoil have released a Segway reader or a Segway reader and writer, Segway okay. IO. And mm, I think all of those use the GPL. Like the GPL, for some reason, weirdly, you would almost think, wow, that's weird. The GPL is like, I don't know, some people think of it as like hardcore open source, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, uh, 
I mean, it's no MIT. It, it, I mean, several of the other businesses <laughs> came along to be more business friendly. So I think it's weird that the oil companies choose mm. the GPL. But I guess they're sort of like, well, if we're going to release this, we want to make sure that it's, I suppose, difficult to use for commercial purposes <laughs> and stays open forever kind of thing. Oh, like forks of it will stay open. Yeah. But I... I yeah, I don't, I don't like the trend. I wish they would choose Apache. So, yeah, so how do those licenses work? Like, which license is sort of most open for, like, which one might I want to use if I put something together um, with the intention of just making it as useful as possible for teachers and educational institutions so that anyone can pick it up? Like, it'd be nice, you know, for people to say thanks. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, acknowledge where things came from, but be, you know, free to free to add to it and collectively maintain it, which would also kind of potentially keep me off the hook from having to maintain things you, over time. You want to say the license at the same time? Ready? One, two, three. CC by zero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. the, the, the big decision is whether you go permissive or non-permissive. So the non-permissive licenses, or sometimes called copyleft licenses, um, the, the main one is GPL. And, and it has this, what some people call a viral quality, because derivatives have to carry the same license, right? Oh, okay. So, it's like, so then it kind of... You can modify my stuff, but if you make that public, it has to have the same license. And so that way people can't sort of take what you've done and then conflate it with something else, potentially minor, right. and then and lock it down. And, okay. yeah. Whereas permissive licenses essentially let you do whatever you like, as long as you retain the copyright and the license. Like you, you, the, the piece that you modified, it has to, you know, you have to be recognized as the person that made it. Okay. But essentially people can do whatever they like. And those include the BSD, the MIT license, and the Apache license. And the subtlety, which I'm not sure I could describe, but the subtlety with the Apache license is that it offers a kind of indemnity. Essentially, if someone tries to claim that, um, if someone tries to patent stuff, then you withdraw the license from them. So there's this kind of, uh, Clawback, clawback, huh. uh, for in 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 the case of people trying to patent stuff. So interesting uh, that people like that protection, and that's why we use the Apache two point zero. Okay, um, but any of the permissive licenses will essentially let anyone do whatever they want, including commercialize the code. Okay. Like, right. So if that's what someone does. You can't stop them, um, and and they can take it away and make it open source and in other ways. I don't know. It is a okay. weird landscape. So then is the inverse or, or converse, I guess, true, where if it's one of these licenses that, sure, someone puts it out, but then says you can't use it for commercial purposes. People do does that. that kind of leave the publisher who is using it for commercial purposes in a position of being able to prevent others from implementing that particular solution? Yeah. People Almost like an IP or patent in other areas? Yeah, people definitely try and write licenses that prevent um, commercial use of things. Okay. And, um, some people will have this. Uh, so that's inadvisable without a lawyer, I would say. And it's also pointless if you don't plan to sue somebody right. who contributes, right? I mean, okay. yeah, yeah. if you have no plans to do that or means to do that, then what's mm -hmm. the point? Um, I mean, that's the same thing with patents. Like, It's the same thing with patents. You're in the business yeah. of litigation or you're in the business of doing work right, right. Sure. so the the other thing i would say is some people do have a dual licensing so if you look at open detect for example which you probably know about opendetect.org it's an awesome seismic volume visualization volume picking tool for seismic data um, and well data they have a free version which uses the gpl and then they have a commercial license if you want to use the plugins and get support and maintenance and blah, blah, blah. And the Segway reader 
what's the Norwegian one called? Um, Malinov. No, the one from 60 North. S uh, man, why can't I remember it? Sorry. It, anyway, I'll put it in the yeah, show. Yeah, I know what you're remember. referring to because it was on software. Someone posted something a little yeah. while back referring to it. And then I actually, in noodling around on the websites, found some open source data associated with one of those. Okay. So you could actually kind of have some data to monkey around with. Right, right. So the um, the 60 North Segway reader is probably the most well-engineered open source Segway reader out there, but it also has a dual licensing model. Pi. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Segway Pi. Yeah. Uh, okay. Segway. Yeah, Segway Pi. It's, I mean, those guys, Rob Smallshire and um, uh, the, the, I can't remember the other guy's name uh, right now, but the, the, they're awesome programmers. Like, they know what they're doing. So it is 100% robust. Austin we're, we're Diggum. Go, we're, we're, going, <laughs> we're going deep on licenses here. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about, we've met, I mean, you brought up the subject of licensing. What are you building? What are you doing? Um, so really, this the the only two things I'm actually doing right now. <laughs> well, three. Wildly brainstorming, thinking of all kinds of crazy things, you know, and watching these podcasts, being inspired by others. But the two other things I'm actually putting, you know, finger to keyboard over, are to take some of these old lessons um, from the K through twelve thing, and put them into. I think a Jupyter notebook because holy wow, that's useful and just a great delivery system. And like you can read like it's a normal textbook or article and then also have some interactive space there. So I think that's going to lend itself well to um, the education space. Should we and, talk about my binder? Oh, I've seen it. What? Tell me about binder. <laughs> uh, so binder is a really nice i guess it's a jupiter hub behind the scenes and um okay. what's nice about it is you can just give it a github repo and it will create a docker container you, if, if you're using anything any non-standard libraries you have to kind of define them in an environment.yaml so that okay. it set up your environment okay install whatever libraries you need but then it creates a docker and um spins up a virtual machine for you and then people can actually run oh. online at mybinder.org without installing anything locally just click oh, lovely yeah so that is an awesome educational tool that mm. is awesome thanks guys yeah that's uh i had found um the google collab space which was ah. nice because it already had python and stuff behind the scenes, but that's a very limited access situation for testing. So this yeah. binder sounds amazing. Binder's really nice because it's completely open. Yeah. I guess Microsoft Azure Notebooks is another option, but you have to have okay. a Microsoft account. Um, but the nice thing is that it's running on, like it sounds like the hardware scales. So if you set off a big job, it'll actually bring more uh, hardware to bear on it. Okay. And they also, I think you get all of Anaconda. So you get all of the these scientific libraries. Oh, fantastic. That are already there. Yeah, because I need oh, to make God. it just as, as well bundled and yeah. easy to get up and running as possible for exactly. um, the teachers and students alike. Because that, you know, that e, if you can lower the bar a bit, it really helps everyone get over it. You know, totally. And, and you get better uptake. Have you... Um, I've experimented a little bit with using Raspberry Pis for teaching. Have you no, tried I've, like that? I haven't. Um, but no, that's that's good to know. So I haven't uh, I haven't yet broken the seal on anything digital with these um, okay. sort of volu education volunteer activities yet. Yeah, in full I, analog so far. It's um, worth checking out um, Code Club World. Okay, it's a, yeah, a British organization, but they have a ton of really nice content and advice and forums and stuff for people teaching um, to kids. And it's also worth checking out the BBC. Do you remember BBC computers from the same era? Oh, as yes, the 400? I, I do. And there was a Bloomberg piece on them or a Hello World piece maybe on Bloomberg not long ago. Okay, yeah. Um, so talking about the, yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, well, the, yeah, so they used to have these Acorn 
Electron and the uh, BBC um, microcomputers, uh-huh. and they were big in schools when I was a kid. But they've relaunched a thing now called the BBC Microbit, and it's minuscule. It's almost the size of like a a, a memory card. Uh, I can't remember which, like an SD, a SD card. It's very small, and it has Python on it, and it costs in the UK. I think it costs five pounds, so it's probably about ten bucks. So you can afford to buy a bunch of them for a class or whatever. And oh, that's fantastic. Home, right? Yeah. So um, it was worth looking at some of these things because they're transformative, I think. And, and you know, that's one of the th- things that still confounds me a bit in um, U.S. education funding space. Like schools are finding ways to purchase, you know, $800 iPads, yeah. Although I suppose the most recent lower end ones are now kind of getting in that under 300 point, but in contrast to 10 to $40 per head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and an iPad, and, which is a completely used. Yes. You can't. Yeah. Can't I mean, it's it completely gardens, <laughs> unprogrammable. Yes. And yeah, it blows my mind that educationalists are into these things. Yeah. I keep- of sponsors that we're never going to get. So we just add. <laughs> but I mean, they're con- they're consumer devices for shopping and social media and yeah. and digital yeah. media yeah. and yeah. games, right. which of course kids love. Like, yeah. Yeah. gotta do something. Like, get them on Linux. Basically, <laughs> that's Atari four hundred yeah. or it's Atari four hundred. But I mean, I feel like the the educators sort of don't know what they don't know sometimes. Yes. Um, yes. I agree fully. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the challenge of getting, getting, getting the, some ideas, not all the ideas, just some ideas in front of them and then arming them with the capabilities to just explore where that goes, mm-hmm. you know, for what's relevant to them, given their background, given their students' interests. Um, you know, the STEM curriculum is a, it's a, it's a framework. There's actually a lot of r- room to, maneuver around and still mm-hmm. address the core curriculum details. So, yeah, so something where, so do you want a device where you have predetermined apps and no degrees of freedom, or do you want a device where you can weave in technology and coding and problem solving and maths into almost any topic, right. um, particularly with all the visualizations like social studies? you could bring this into social studies class and look at demographic relationships um, yeah. and get into some cool visualizations. You could build a million little data scientists. Yes. Speaking of data science, <laughs> it wouldn't be an sampled radio episode unless we talked about machine learning. Woo-hoo. Isn't, it, isn't it great though? <laughs> Sorry, what, what did you want to say about it? <laughs> so Tom and I had a, in our conversation a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about machine learning and, you said that you were interested in dabbling, getting into, starting to play with? Yes, indeed. Um, I kind of had the epiphany um, during the great pandemic. <laughs> of, uh, I'm just going to use that a lot from now on as, yeah, yeah, short, as shorthand. What the um, growth but No, that, you know, so much of the work that I did in grad school using from experimental design, analysis of variance, you know, principal component analysis factor, like statistics, um, some Green's function inverse modeling. Um, Heavy duty. Like, I mean, I've touched this stuff before. So for the longest time, I was like, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, not sure. Sounds way out of my league. I never have the time to learn it. And then I had an epiphany that like, okay, I can handle this. And you probably already met, know a lot of it. Yeah. Like the nuts and bolts are there. Um, linking them together is new. Um, the tools are new. Um, but there are great resources out there, like the ever popular. Um, and what's that? Yeah, yeah Software Underground. And then I was going to be a little more granular and say, and point <laughs> back to the, um, <laughs> the uh, SEG wiki yeah. um, for the FACES prediction exercise from a couple years back. Yeah. Um, that was your brother. And so, <laughs> yes. Uh, me and Brendan. I remember when we were just <laughs> running around 
<laughs> in New <laughs> Jersey. Nappies in New Jersey. <laughs> is that where we grew up? <laughs> Sorry. See, this is how you perpetuate the myth. Because I think, like, in my prior watchings of the show, y'all were joking around like this, and I, I didn't. I took yeah. it literally. <laughs> I when didn't see the pre-show clarification. Just, just for, just for total clarity. <laughs> not my brother. He's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> So now we're getting into time migration, also known as time traveling, really meant for something yeah. else. So are you going to solve reverse time migration with machine learning? Oh, no, no. That's not my area of any technical depth. Um, what do you want? I'm, to I'm becoming a nascent geophysicist, but I'm by no means an actual geophysicist. Yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm with you there, though. I think there should be a word for there should be another thing for the people who aren't on the physics side of geophysics but are on mm -hmm. the geology side we'll of call geophysics. Them a trans yes. Integrationists. I propose integrationists. That's right. Integr that Integrologists. Yeah. Integrologists. Yes, integrologists. Hey, Tom, want to hear about a project I'm working on that you might like yes. to part in? I do. Yes. You've, you've already heard about it. You're not interested. <laughs> what are you into? <laughs> be back days? in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working with. Uh, a guy here associated with the BEG on a project to forecast, predict the meanders of streams over time using deep machine learning. learning. That's deep it. Learning. That's it. Sweet. So that's not geophysics-y. Yeah. yeah that's that is sweet. process sedimentology all the way, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll show you the code. Actually. Cool. It up. It's, it's probably yeah. It's on your GitHub now, probably. Hey. Um, I had lunch with. That's very cool. Oh, did you? Yeah. He sent me a note. Funnily enough, and uh, did he? Uh -huh. And um, he's not coming to dinner. There's a new. There's a new plan afoot. So just just FYI, geologist mm -hmm. who's learning to code. Um, there may be people looking for tutorials getting started in coding for geologists. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, just find a basic subject, 1,500, 2,000 words tops, a little bit of a Jupyter okay. notebook. Bob's your uncle. Choose the right license. And yeah, choose the right license. And good to go. Yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. That's good. That's good to know about. It could be cool, right? So um, for any geologists who code listening and would like to write up a little tutorial, there is going to be a market for this kind of content. And when I say market, I don't mean you're going to get paid at all. Um, but you will get substantial amounts of kudos. Hats on the back. Back slaps at conferences. <laughs> and, and people vibes. going, I learned Python because of your tutorial. That's, that's wonderful. And that's very much in the spirit of volunteerism in education. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And just community-based learning. That's my oldest son, Brendan. He <laughs> often talks about the <laughs> the impact of his um, his tutorial, like how it's influenced you. I think yes, it, is, it has touched a great many people, and he always did want to touch a lot of people. <laughs> oh come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to well, which Matt, you are referring to the model miniatures of all of the tabletop board games that we play. Right, right. <laughs> They're little. If anyone is <laughs> writing a tutorial on Green's functions, you can get in touch with me. Please, someone write that tutorial. I would like to read that tutorial. I think it's going to be Tom. Yeah. Tom? Ooh, I will read that tutorial. Oh, okay. We've got two readers. <laughs> Nobody write it. Okay. <laughs> Um, um, oh, that's fantastic. And just quickly, to not to put too fine a point on it, but that that um, SCG wiki exercise that you're referring back to as a great teaching tool, I'm um, taking it as a completely blind experiment. I'm pretending like it just came out right. um, because I know it was actually the subject of a number of conference papers. Mm -hmm. um, people have explored sort of different solutions to that problem. Um, so I'm kind of, I ran through it once. Um, now I'm thinking about things like how the training data influences outcomes and how my prior experience in uh, logging core tells me that there are lumpers, there are splitters, 
There's first thing in the morning, there's late in the afternoon. So, you know, the quality of your training data must, you know, it's just intuitive. It would affect um, outcomes. How are you going to measure that? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Give me a minute. I want to kind of, to make this a really healthy learning exercise, I want to get stumped a few times and I want to, you know, but as I, as I fear that getting stumped might keep me from progressing at all, Mm-hmm. I will give a shout out on Software Underground mm-hmm. and and see right. what my peeps have to think. I won't, I won't say give you the data, as they say, in rock climbing. Just yeah. Yes, but exactly. That's going to be great cool. a model that can predict at what time of day the call was logged. <laughs> Good. Yes. Where's your, your rolling error? <laughs> Is it diurnal? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Matt pours himself another glass of wine. Oh, sorry, guys. I will ask Tom the question. Oh. What, are you, what are you reading at the moment? Oh. Time already. It is. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. So I'm reading a couple of things, a um, couple of sort of World War II era history type stuff I mentioned in the show notes. Um, but to keep it a little shorter, I've got this great book off of Amazon. You bought that thing on Amazon? Oh, wow. I did. And it came from... It's circa 1975 and came from the University of Texas at San Ann Library. Oh my goodness. Wait, <laughs> but you and used, how did you get that on Amazon? They're just so, they must be shutting down hard copy books at you know some of our educational institutions because they had quite a lot. So for any collectors out there that kind of like some of the original writings on, on topics in general. That's cool. Amazon has partnered with some of the big book distributors that have evidently picked up library holdings. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I have this, um, I, I am reading through this because um, it has some random forest and random walk approaches for bed thickness prediction and uh-huh. some other maths that really feed into some, several of the vendor tools that are out there today. Um, that that make an aim at the facies prediction space. Thanks. What? 1975. So it's developments in sedimentology. Um, sedimentation. My, here, I'll hold it up for a sec. I also have a picture in the show notes, but I know I'm looking at it right now do, 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 for the audience on the radio. Here is this picture. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's yeah. So sedimentation models and quantitative stratigraphy by Walther. Schwarzacker um, from Queen's University in Belfast, Northern Ireland, circa 1975. And his citations are of all these Russian mathematicians, like post-war Russian maths folks from the 40s and 50s. And he took what they were doing out of um, physics and some other space and started applying their statistical methods to geology. yeah, I, I don't, it's probably not first, you know, first citations, first citation level stuff, but it's going back a ways. Yeah, I, I mean, see books like that and you sort of wonder how much of this have we collectively remembered? <laughs> like, We're remembered to forget. Yeah, I feel like there's, there's, a, there's, learning there's learning. a lot of rediscovery going yeah. on potentially. Yeah. Um, Walter Schwarzacker. Make it see, a good Irish see. name, isn't it? He was in Belfast. That's right. Matt, I see you're continuing with your thread of not putting the book you're reading in the show notes. Yeah. So I, what are you guys reading? Yeah. Yeah, Graham, what are you reading? I, I haven't read a book for two months. What are you doing? Writing invoices? <laughs> I hope. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... I I'm quite an analog reader of papers, so I, w- this is kind of embarrassing, but I print them out and I bring them with me on airplanes. <laughs> and, uh, and I read, because, you know, when you, with the bits where you're not allowed to have your devices, I guess there aren't any bits like that anymore, but I pretend like there are. And so <laughs> I just read my papers and I like them because I can write on them. I can leave a lot of it behind and just keep the one sheet with my scribbled notes on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I like reading like that. And you're saving the environment as well. I'm reading a book called Self-Portrait with Boy <laughs> by Rachel Leon. 
and man, it is terrible. A masterpiece. It's oh really? Oh god, it's so freaking good. I'm not even. I'm I'm halfway through. Um, just beautifully, exquisitely written. Oh wow! What? It's a novel. Yes. Um, it hasn't won the Pulitzer yet, but uh, oh. <laughs> Oh, no read foul. it. Okay. I don't know. If you're into the sort of literary fiction whatevers. Hey, yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, I was telling I you about Joan Didion. Yeah. And it's, oh, God, and I still haven't read so, Joan Didion. I will, well, that's a just a disservice to yourself. But I will say <laughs> that <laughs> Rachel Leon is, um, I, I will be reading everything okay. she wrote. Wow. Do you read fiction, Tom? I tend to watch it. I'm okay. a bit of a sci-fi um, addict. Okay. And so, yeah, I spend way too much time watching TV some weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, I, so in that vein of thought, I'm uh, not embarrassed to say, or not too embarrassed to say, that I'm very excited that they're coming out with another season of Firefly. Okay. Oh, I remember so, Firefly. That was the... Yeah, um, yeah. What's, the name? what's the guy's name? With... Um, uh, Mao. The, the character's name's Mao. No, no, no. The um, and he became Castle. Because they had a movie too, right? It was called yes, uh, Serenity. Yes, that's what I was yep. thinking. Yeah, and actually, a lot of people didn't survive that movie, so I'm not sure what people to expect. Died? Oh, yeah. Well, it's fiction. Oh, characters died, right? Characters. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, okay. Sorry. He doesn't mean all that nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> when people die in the they don't come back. Um, you have got suspended disbelief down. <laughs> that is good. That's the primary mechanism for enjoying a movie. So it's, it's real. Yeah, yeah. And this is why I can't remember the actors' names. <laughs> yeah, right. Essentially, they don't have names. Oh. Is that a longboard? What's that? Is that a longboard? Can you see that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> you skateboard to the office? Um, no, unfortunately, my Houston commute is more like 30 miles. So <laughs> I can skateboard to the pubbery and to the uh, local cheese shop down the street and for ice cream. <laughs> and my dog loves to, I have a sled dog, a southern sled dog in the form of a pup who loves to pull me on the longboard. At ice that cream. is the most efficient engine there. You didn't, it's not a cold fusion. <laughs> Right, just puppy chow and uh, away you go. I skateboard to the office sometimes. Is why I'm asking. Oh, nice. nice. Austin is a lovely town. Are you enjoying? Uh, you settled in. You want to pull that? I am. I really like Austin a great deal. Um, there's. We just went to a meetup the other night, and there are so many tech meetups and tech people here. Yeah. How's the scene in Houston? Oh, it's pretty good. Um, you know, it's a it's a big city. Um, but um, I've enjoyed that we got to meet up a couple of weeks ago. Yes, and, that was great. Um, at uh, petrol station and met some folks there. So um, you at petrol station? Yeah. Without you. You know that part. Wait, yes. Yeah. Did you have a scotch egg? What? I know I didn't. Okay. Actually, oh, I had dragon's milk. Okay. <laughs> hey, I, yeah. I really like but, the petrol station. I was just saying that's a Zoltan today because that's the last time I got to hang out with him was there, uh, and I haven't been back. Now you guys are having meetups. Yeah. It sucks. That's awesome. Well, I think it's great. Next one will be in Nova Scotia. Yeah. <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be a lot of people there. You and Evan. Yeah. Diego. Diego. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you get what you need to get out of here? <laughs> okay. Matt's hair, Matt's hair dude is getting messed up. What, what about my hair? It's just, it's late in the day. Okay. Tom, thanks for joining us. Yes, this awesome episode. Yeah, it's really a pleasure. Really good. We'll see you guys next week on Understandable Radio, episode 73.